congratulations good people thank you for tuning in to the slow wealth podcast we are kendra and this is ramon and as we have in our previous shows we always start off with a powerful motivational quote it starts by saying life really does begin at 40. up until then you are just doing research and this is in honor of the reason why we had our small hiatus my birthday yay so you're 40 yes life really does begin at 40. up until then you're just doing research something happens when you turn 40. you get your handicap sticker something else (laughs) happens when you turn 40 (laughs) but no the real motivational quote goes as someone once told me not to bite off more than i can chew i said i'd rather choke on greatness than nibble on mediocrity Uh, nibble on it right i mean you know hmm some people think that if you're just doing just okay, okay, I'm just getting by. You know, because you hear, how are you doing? Oh, I'm just getting by. And it's like, then on the flip side of that, you know, there are those people that's like, well, what's going on? How's your business going? And they're like, oh, man, you know, it's taking off. And it's people are always like, well, you know, uh, businesses are set to to fail in two years and it's like what kind of statement is that to say to someone who is you know who who is um aspiring to do something greater to work for themselves and to have their own i hate when people do that like that to me how could you kill a dream like that someone who is living their dream living their passion yeah some people uh push their fears onto you yeah that's so true that's so true and and i i i want to choke on greatness because mediocrity just doesn't sit well on the stomach anymore (laughs) (laughs) all right so let's get into our show today um ramon is going to give us a synopsis of the housing market a synopsis so, what do you mean? Like, is it a good time to buy? Well, tell us about the, you know, what you think about the housing market. Do you think it's a great time to buy? Yes. Sell? Yes. Invest? Yes. Okay, because you be a little <laughs> bit more specific. Pacific? Can you be Pacific. a little bit more Pacific? Yeah, I think it's a good time to buy. I think it's a great time to buy. Interest rate, interest rates are lower, um, <clears throat> and even with this whole virtual tours and everything being virtual because of COVID, um, a lot of buyers are starting to get more comfortable with the way things are now, and so and then you got to think about the summer coming up. Uh, what Saturday? It'd be the start of the summer, so. Um, it's really that's the that's the that's the time of the year when you have the the market is the hottest. You know, you have a lot of people buying and selling. 
So, you know, this is a great time to get in because you, you're probably going to, depending on what market you're in, it's probably going to get real competitive because now I just read some, something somewhere where it says that the home buyer's uh, market um, has jumped like 11% or something like that. So people are really out here buying. They're looking, they're seeing good deals, and you got to think there's a lot of people, again, that are scared of COVID, and a lot of sellers um, are putting their house on the market. And, you know, then a lot of people are putting their houses, you know, or property on the market, you know, probably because they, you know, can't afford it now, you know, because of COVID. Or, you know, a lot of property owners have tenants who were not able to pay, um, you know, they lost their job or whatever. So there are so many instances um, why the market is hot. Just know it's hot. You know what I'm saying? You got to get in right, you know, where you fit in. And I say just take the leap, get in, don't think about it. If you've already been thinking about it, you've already been planning, you know, um, this is just a good time to go ahead and get in. And, you know, stocks. Yeah. I know a lot of people was in the stock market. The stock market is... Yeah. It's volatile. It's volatile. I don't know what. It's so crazy because when we were vacationing on my birthday, which was last week, by the way, everybody, um... <laughs> The stocks looked great days before my birthday. Like, I think within a day or two, I was up almost $700, $600, excuse me, $600. And maybe three days later, it dropped $700. So I lost $700. And as, as we all know, you never want to put your eggs into one basket, oh, you definitely want to diversify your investments, mm-hmm. um, and you never want to invest more than you can afford to. So um, losing seven hundred dollars, it, it it hurt, but it wasn't like you know if this was six seven years ago, I would have been like Ramon, well, what we gonna do? I mean, you gonna stand out on a corner or what? You gonna shake a oh, tail feather? <laughs> Like, what, what's going to happen? Because we live in hand over fist. <laughs> First of all, this was the years ago. We wouldn't even, <laughs> you would not have put up six or seven dollars. <laughs> and that just would have been a, a thought. That's a sad reality, yeah. yes. But, true. you know, like we said, the, the stock market has been hot. It's kind of been hot in code. If you were able to catch it, uh, you know, you probably could have made some good money. You know, I did pretty good. You know, Kendra lost a little bit. I lost a little bit, too. Um, I, I had a big gain, and then I lost a little bit of it. Um, and, you know, the, with the stock market, because it's so volatile, you got to know when to get in and when to get out. And you can't get greedy. And, you know, I know some people, one guy in particular, I just talked to him today. Mm-hmm. He said he uh, <laughs> he was up, I think, about 25000 and he went outside, I, you know, he was at work, went outside, came back in, and, and, and lost it. And, you know, That's I told gracious. him, hey, did you, did you put in a, a stop limit? You know, hey, when it gets this price, to have it sell? No, how do you, how you do that? I was like, oh, man, yeah. You know, but, you know, I would have been a little sick. I would have been very sick. I'd have been a little sick. $25,000? Yeah. You see, that's, you can lose it in just minutes. You know, like I told you before, when um, when Trump was getting in the office, 
uh, and I had bought, no, it might have been the year after that, but when they were talking about legalizing uh, weed. You're talking about federal. the Attorney General? Uh, Sessions. Yeah, Jeff Sessions. Sessions. You know, the whole big talk was about, you know, uh, weed being legalized federally. And so, like, almost every weed stock was was a good pick. And when he said no, um, early that morning, when I woke up, I had lost $9,000. So, you know, I was... Yeah, you were sick. I was a little sick. <laughs> but uh, fortunately, you know, this year the market's been doing kind of good. I, I made it pretty much all back. But, you know, real estate, that's kind of the other side. You know, you can lose in real estate big, but real estate is not that volatile. You know, if you lose that kind of, you know, money, it has to be something big, you know, like COVID. Right. You know, something with the economy where it's just a big shift where, you know, you might have had a property worth a half a million dollars and you lost two, three hundred thousand, like 2008. Right. So, you know, it's With a little bit more stable. Values, mm-hmm. um, decreased because mm-hmm. of the, de- you know, there there wasn't a large demand at that time. Mm, especially places like Phoenix, where you could get like a five, six bedroom house for 200,000 maybe that was worth probably close to a million yeah like so yeah that's you know that that that's kind of a stretch you know i won't say a rare but it is kind of rare in real estate for you to lose that kind of uh, profit you know versus stocks i mean style you can you can lose all your i just seen today it's kind of sad on this uh investment app this uh young guy lost uh he used his app to invest in stocks, and when he opened it up, he saw that he had a negative balance of $730,000. Whoa. And uh, he ended up committing suicide. Oh, my god! So, um, it, and I don't know how he did that. Um, I, I, I have an idea because... With some of these apps, you can use different things like options, margins, spreads. And so depending on what he did, and if you you know, if he did like an option with a put or whatever, there's certain things on there where you can your your the your losses can be almost infinite in a in a sense. Where you can lose a lot more than what you probably invested. Mm-hmm. And so that's like with stocks, like you really gotta know what you're doing. Some of the stuff you can probably you can get lucky and you know, you know, make a little bit of money. But for him, I don't I don't know where he invested and how much he invested. But I could just imagine <laughs> seeing I got a negative seven hundred thirty thousand dollars, you know, balance. Like that was crazy to me. So you know, if anybody out there, you know, you invest in the stocks. Be careful. Be mindful of what you're doing. Don't get greedy uh, and lose all your money because it's, it's it's really not worth your life. Yeah, that's, that's awful to hear about that young man. Um, rest in power to him. And today we're going to take a bit of a different direction. Um, we were planning on uh, discussing how to manage your properties this episode. 
but with everything that's going on in the world, I think we would be remiss if we didn't discuss the um, murders of young black men and women. Um, George Floyd, rest in power, being um, one of the most recent, in addition to Breonna Taylor. Um, I mean, we could go back to Trayvon Martins and then further back to Emmett Till. I mean, you know, these are just some of the names that resonate with a lot of people in the black community or people who, um, you know, also sympathize with the black community. Uh, over, over my birthday weekend, we uh, went on vacation and we were actually surprised to see that the place we were vacationing was um, having a Black Lives Matter rally. And it was beautiful to see the sea of people, all different colors of people, you know, taking a stand and, um, you know, marching together, you know, hand in hand, arm in arm with the same, you know, for the same reason. However, <laughs> Ramon and I are both black and being pulled over by the cops or being harassed by the cops is like literally nothing new to either one of us. It's more or less like, you know, you literally have to sit in your car or wherever you are and, and think about am I going to come out of this alive? Or if you're at a grocery store and you just happen to be walking down, down an aisle and there's a white lady with her purse sitting in the basket, you know, you have to think about the passive aggressive racist uh, thoughts that she's having, you know, that kind of you know, perpetuate a situation at the grocery store where you're just picking, picking up milk and bread and it could, you know, possibly turn into something else. I mean, those are things that we deal with on a daily basis and we can only speak from one perspective. Although we, we like seeing everybody, you know, arm in arm, hand in hand with one agenda and that's for, um, you know, to to. I don't want to say stop racism because it'll never stop because it is systemic. Um, but just to have equality, basically, you know, just to have equality. But um, we want to discuss how socioeconomic disparities and wealth distribution affects the housing market for black Americans. We will be discussing redlining, white flights, and gentrification. How that affects the housing markets um, for the black community, as well as how the black dollar circulates. Um, I'll get into some of that. Um, basically, when we say the black dollar, we mean how it circulates in our community, obviously. If I am to spend my dollar in the black community and I, and you know, I patronize a black business, that dollar only stays in the black community for really six hours, but we'll say less than 24. Um, in other communities, 
A dollar circulates in an Asian community for 30 days, a Jewish community for approximately 20 days, and white community for 17 days. The importance of us keeping our dollars, and when I say us, I mean black people, um, the importance of us keeping our dollars in the black community is significant. One, to be honest with you, saying community, black community is kind of a, an oxymoron because we really don't have a lot of black communities anymore. It's just the hood, you know, we got some neighborhoods, some blocks, some street blocks, you know, but we don't have a lot of communities because when, um, when you think of a community, you think of a community that has all the necessities that you need to thrive, you know, supermarkets, uh, housing, entertainment places, you know, just a lot of different things other than churches, liquor stores, and maybe, um, you might see some predatory lending, like payday places, payday loan places or something like that. But, uh, the significance of people having a, com you know, owning homes in the black community is great because what we have now in the black community is a lot of renters and the people who own the homes in those communities live in the suburbs where they are being afforded a lifestyle that everyone, you know, wants to have, you know, for themselves and their children. Ramon, do you want to discuss uh, redlining for us? You know, people have an idea of what they think it is, but if you could explain. I mean, it's pretty it self-explanatory. You know, it's redlining. They took a map, they drew a red line of a certain area of a city, um, and that's where uh, they didn't want to didn't want certain people groups of people to live um so that was really uh um kind of a, a hint to the mortgage people the mortgage banks the lenders realtors uh, anybody don't sell no house to a black person and it was in that certain time uh china they uh they would say japanese or japs uh or chinaman chinese this is what they would say they would put these in ads um, to say, don't sell to these people. Don't have them, don't sell houses to any of these people in this area. So it prevented certain groups of people from being able to live in certain areas. And that's, that uh, still is prevalent today. Right. Um, and that's why you see certain groups of people only in certain areas. Yeah, like the Chinatowns, mm -hmm. Little Italy's, um, you know, Irish communities and you know things like that but you know but the, the, the funny part is when they redline it's kind of uh it kind of doesn't help it doesn't it doesn't so they say hey you know it's, it's like a kid you know in a sandbox and you know they drawing a line and say this is my area right here you don't come over here and so you're like oh okay cool i'm gonna stay over here and you make it so good that now you looking at my area like, oh, I want to come over there. Mm -hmm. And so that's what happens is that you put groups of people, you know, black people or Asians or whoever, you put them in a certain area and they make the best of that area. So that now the people who put them there, now they want that area. 
And then, you know, that's where, you know, gentrification kind of comes in. But with the redlining, you know, that's really, they were more uh, outwardly with it back in the day. So, like, they was really, really just blunt, like, we not selling to you. You can't live over here. Now, because of certain laws, fair housing practices, they can't do that. But they found little other slick ways to, you know, still redline, zoning, certain things, subdivisions, you know. I mean, if you think about now, uh, shoot, uh, in Kansas. Remember, like, when I when first was in Kansas, and, you know, some neighborhoods, let's say you're driving down the street, and you you miss a turn. And you just say, oh, I'm just going to turn into this street and make a U.E. and come back. Like, there's certain areas of a certain city, you can't do that. Because, like, we've been in Kansas, and I did that. Mm-hmm. And you was like, uh-uh, you can't turn up in here. They'll call oh, the police. Yeah, they'll call the police, yeah, like, in some real areas quick. in Kansas. So, you know, it, it just, it's just funny because, you know, they, you know, certain people, you try, they try to keep what they feel like are, are, are bad people in certain areas of a city. And those people, over time, make that place or that area that you force them to, to look, you know, even better. You know, they had the sun downtowns right. in California. Yeah, where if you were caught <laughs> out after that light went out, the, the street light went out, you could be hanged, brutally beaten. I mean, and they still hang in this town. You, you would live, people would live in these towns mm-hmm. and pay property taxes for, you know, other, the other people on the other side of town to, you know, be able to afford to give their children a proper education or to have, you know, fresh produce in their grocery stores. But they weren't able to stay out after dark if they were coming home from work or anything. It, it was redlining is a sponsored system of segregation that was implemented by the U.S. government. Like a lot of things, you know. But, um, and you know, just funny, well, I won't say the funny thing, but the crazy thing is that because the sundown time was in California, where you said they, they caught you out late, you know, they would hang you or do, and do you know, whatever. And recently, there's been four black people that have been found hung in California, in certain California, parts of California. Right. Southern California. Um, so it, it's it's crazy, you know, just the things that are going on. Um, but, you know, I think a lot of people, if you look at now, we have a lot of people who are upset. You know, more most importantly, black people. Were, it's kind of like, listen, we just want things to be fair. If you're going to, you know, treat us a certain way, then let us go over here on our own. But what happens is, they don't want you on your own. They don't want you with them, and they don't want you on your own. And so it's just a lot of injustices, and I think people are really just, everybody's speaking out now. Some people are speaking for it. Some people are speaking against it. Um, but, you know, we'll kind of try to touch on, on some things on, you know, really more importantly, uh, black home ownership uh, or just owning property for black people and, and why that is so important especially with everything that's going on today. Um, so, yeah, as far as redlining, um, did we kind of cover that? Yeah, um, and just to give 
another point about redlining um the maps were created and distributed by the the homeowners loan corp and this was an organization that was affiliated under fha and fha and va in the 20th century would be very um What's the word, Ramon? They would be very apprehensive about mm-hmm. giving blacks loans in certain areas. Mm-hmm. Um, They're redlining. Just... Yeah, I mean, it definitely is redlining. But this organization, the Homeowners Loan Corp, worked with local real estate agents and banks in 40,000 cities. One of those cities being uh, a city that, that, yeah, that I used to live in. Kansas City. Yeah, Kansas City, Minneapolis. Uh, there was Detroit, an ad. Detroit. Philadelphia. I mean, 40,000 40, cities. And the biggest impact that that had is in most of these cities, like Minneapolis, especially northern cities where you start talking about like Chicago and Milwaukee. Um, and then if you go east over to New York and Philly and stuff like that, um, those cities in those areas had a large, like large blocks of people just living in poverty and they were living on top of each other. And the funny, well, I don't like Ramon said, it's not funny, it's, it's sad. But the crazy thing about it is not all these people had incomes of being impoverished. They had to live over there because they weren't allowed to have housing in certain areas. So when we fill out mortgage forms now, this is coming to today, when you fill out a mortgage form now, on the bottom of the mortgage forms, when I say mortgage forms, I mean whether it's your banking to get a mortgage loan or from your lender, it'll say equal housing and all that at the bottom. Now, don't get it twisted, folks. Just because you see that at the bottom. That's a formality. And that's a formality. I mean, everyone isn't looking at that and saying, yes, I'm going to give everyone equal treatment. That still goes on until today. As a matter of fact, when I was writing the show notes, there were articles like written days prior to to me doing research about this where they were saying the numbers haven't changed as far as discrimination in giving loans and they find more um uh they the the banking and loan industry has become more educated about how to redline so they've kind of manipulated a whole system to say, you know what, we can't blatantly come out and say we don't want black people to live in this area as FHA and you know, government loans had in the past. They've become more um, covert. Covert about it. Yeah, a lot more covert and um it, it it's it, it's grown into something else, you know. And it's terrible because we see equal housing at the at the bottom of the form, 
and then you sit in front of someone who will say to you, well, this area isn't good for you. You know, maybe you should live in this area, which is, you know, could be predominantly black or uh, Latino or something like that. And it's like, but I want to buy a house in this area. My money says I can buy a house in this area. My credit says I can buy a house in this area. The house is available. You know, why won't you give me a loan for this house in that area? And I, I think we've, you know, Ramon and I have kind of experienced that, but we've we've been graceful about it. As much as, you know, you, you, you want to be rah-rah and, you know, you get hyped, you, you get pissed off. It's kind of like, you know what? Well, see, a lot of them, they don't think nothing's wrong because they think they're putting you where you where you feel like you you may want to be. Where they think you should be, but also where, you know, it's kind of like if you're going to a store to, to or you're going to a car lot and you see a, a new Mercedes Benz and they don't think that you can afford it. And they're like, you're like, man, this car is nice. You know, how much is they like? Oh, you know, it's about 80000 But you know what? This, uh... The Chevy Aveo over here. <laughs> <laughs> you know, this Chevy Aveo, you know, this this is pretty nice. This might be more in your price range. Mm. And you think of yourself, well, I didn't tell you my price range. You don't know what I can afford. So it's it still goes on today, you know. Um, it's kind of like, <laughs> you know, if you ask some, you know, if you go somewhere, you know, a, a restaurant or something, and, they, and the first thing they... They tell you on the menu is something about chicken. You know, you like, well, you know, I didn't say nothing about chicken. You know, do, you, do all black people just like chicken? I mean, because I didn't see some white people tear some chicken up. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Watermelon, too. I mean, it's, it, I think a lot of it, uh, I think some of it, they, some people really feel like they're helping you. And a lot of it is a lot of bias behind it. Um, but I wanted to say, too, in light of every, well, not even in light of everything, but with everything going on, you know, in Minneapolis um, has been in the, the news quite a bit, you know, yes. especially with police shootings or police killings. Um, and being I used to live there, um, I, I love Minneapolis. It gets cold as hell, but I love it. Beautiful city. But um, Minneapolis has an uh, undertone. A racism there it's kind of passive um it's not as outwardly depending on the on, on you know the situation but most of the time you know they said there's a there's minnesota nice well let me tell you <laughs> it ain't always minnesota nice as we as we can see you know um and you can't paint everyone with a broad brush but living there you know i've seen and, and have had my dealings with you know, police and, and, and other situations. So, um, but there was an article I seen online. Uh, it's called menpost.com. Uh, and this lady, she, she, this is actually an article just about a year ago. And she was showing a old, uh, news clipping. Huh? It was an old news clipping. Yeah, it was an old news clipping, um, from back in 1923, uh, originally printed by the Minneapolis Star. Um, and it was uh, basically they were selling a, a, a lot. It was a lot sale. Lake Nokomis. And for anybody who's been to Minneapolis or lived there, you know, Lake Nokomis, it's a nice area. You know, obviously by the lake. That's where a lot of people want to live. But long story short, 
this ad or news flyer basically said that they were having an opening Nokomis lot sale. Biggest day sale today is Sunday. And they're telling about they're selling all these lots. But at the bottom of it, it states these premises should not be sold, mortgaged, or leased to to or occupied by any person or persons other than the members of the Caucasian race. And like this is blatant, 1923. Uh, you know, Egan, Minnesota, they were in the news a few years back because there was reports of them still practicing redlining. As well as in um, New York too, Long Island. They that was, they had that the, was recently. Yeah, they had the zoning law, but but they just try to it, it just kind of transform. You know, you have your you have your old slavery that transformed into a modern day slavery with the mass incarceration. Um, it just things evolve. It doesn't stop. It just evolve. Um, so I just kind of wanted to throw that in there. Yeah, redlining uh, again. I hate to say it, it was FHA discrimination against blacks buying homes in the suburbs or near suburbs, um, stating it would bring down property values. Um, there was no bias for this, for these thoughts or assumptions that they had that bringing blacks into the suburbs or near the suburbs um, would bring down property values. Actually, it increased property values because the homes they would sell to black people in the suburbs would be significantly more than what the black uh, borrower paid. Uh -huh. You know, compared to compared to their neighbors. Uh -huh. So, and that's still true today, uh -huh. where um, blacks overpay for for rent um for application fees deposits and such even if your credit is good you may pay more than your white counterparts um i mean there's so many different variations to the to the redlining situation but just to for the sake of time we don't want to we don't want to be having a 24-hour podcast or two-year podcast talking about all the different issues that um affect black the black housing industry and how um unfair it has been to black americans we've narrowed it down to three situations redlining being one of them the second is white flight. Now white flight comes from redlining because the government eventually said, hey, we need to have equal housing. Everybody is entitled to live in an area if they can afford it, if they have the credit to live in this area. So when black people, let's say just one black family, if anybody remembers a raisin in the sun, that one black family from a raisin in the sun wanted to live in an area where their son can go to a better school they can have a front yard with a picket with a picket fence they can have a garden they could live a better life and everyone could have room well the white neighborhood association 
um, the neighborhood that they wanted to purchase, this family wanted to purchase a home in, came into the house of this black family and basically said, articul he articulated to them very nicely, very passive, hey, we, you're a lovely family. We see that you're working. You have a son. You have your, you know, your elderly mother that's going to be living here. But we want to buy the house back from you because we don't want certain people living in this area. And you wouldn't be comfortable living in this area. That's called blockbusting. If a realtor says or in any act comes to a potential buyer and, and does something like that, or if they go to someone, let's say an elderly person and an old elderly white lady who's been living in her house for 40, 50 years, the neighborhood is changing around her, but she feels safe in the neighborhood because it's her, you know, it's her neighborhood. And a realtor comes to her and says, hey, I'm going to buy your house because, you know, they are moving in, you know, pointing at a black person or a Latin person. Um, that's blockbusting. That is illegal. And that's what was happening with white flight. Mm -hmm. People were moving because that one black family moved into the neighborhood or that one, at, you know, at the time, Latin family too, would move into the neighborhood. So they would be escorted almost into white heaven which was the suburbs it was beautiful it was clean it was polished um it was organized you know it was white it was where they felt safe mm -hmm. and they figured out ways through redlining to keep anything other than white out of those communities and so you know i like what you said or you spoke about um you know parents wanting their kids to go to a better school in certain areas but getting pushed out you know that's always an issue as well um you know because if you do have a family and you're being pushed out to a, to a whole another neighborhood that you're not from you're not familiar with and now your kids have, and it may be you have now put your kids into a school closer to home that may not be a, as good of a school um, or bust them, you know, further in, you know, in a different city for them to go to a better school. You know, it, it could be more money, time and everything. And, you know, there's a, a, a real big uh, disparity between, <laughs> you know, white, white, white families and their kids going to school versus black families and with their kids going to school because you have a lot of mothers or a lot of parents who want their kids to go to certain schools. But because they don't live in that district, they're not allowed to. Right. And so there's instances, as we know in the news, where mothers or, or you know, yeah, most importantly, or more so mothers have been sending their kids to a different school district that they're not in and they were being charged um, and given a fine. Um, yeah, this, they were being charged with jail time this, for wanting a better opportunity for their child. This one lady named Kelly Williams Bowler, um, as of last year, 
she was convicted using the wrong residence to get her daughter into a better school district in Ohio um, than the underperforming Akron. And she was sentenced to three years uh, in jail, and she was ordered to pay 30000 to the school district. But then you have, I'm sorry, you know, these couple white women who were paying their for their kids to get into these Ivy League schools that they didn't get into on their own, and they're doing a year or less. Yeah, they didn't get into those, they didn't get accepted into those schools on their own merits. On their own merits, right. right. That's what I mean. They, they paid to get them in the school. They didn't pay their tuition. They paid to get them in there. <laughs> and, you know, so it just goes to show you with the right skin color and, and, and the right amount of money, certain things can happen for you, you know. And these aren't just our opinions, you know. These are facts. These yeah. things that happen. And, you know, this these are things that happen that, you know, people sit back and they get frustrated. And they're like, listen, you know, come on, like, this this is not right. This has to change. You know, I know, you know, you hear life ain't fair. That's true. But it can be corrected. And certain things can happen where it's either you give me what I am owed, you give me, you know, what I deserve, or you leave me alone and let me go get it. Um, and, you know, that doesn't happen. So, um, that was just my little two cents. Oh, no, no, that's totally fine. And just to give our audience an example of white flight, we'll talk about an area uh, specifically, um, Ferguson, Missouri, where Mike Brown was murdered. Um, We all remember that situation. Ferguson, Missouri was once pretty much a a white suburb. I mean, the white population was, it's not a big town at all. It's outside of St. Louis, so it's its not a big town, but it is, or excuse me, it's not a big suburb. It is a smaller suburb. Um, it went from about sixteen to 17,000 white citizens at the time, and then once black families started moving in, the number decreased to about 6,000 um, white people, white population. <laughs> So Ferguson, Missouri increased to 67.4 black families. I mean, that's the black population in Ferguson, Missouri. Now, Ferguson, Missouri um, has, well, I'm not sure how it is now, but they, you know, they had a lot of, you know, black influential people, excuse me, Um, that, you know, were police officers and, you know, uh, in other parts, uh, the medical industry and stuff like that. So people were able to see, you know, um, career oriented black Americans. It wasn't just Mm -hmm. like, it was, you know, Ferguson was the slums. I mean, there were people there that, you know, had careers and businesses and, you know, worked jobs and, you know, blue collar, blue collar. Yeah. You know, people who want, you know, uh, uh, just to live life, to Mm. live and enjoy the life that they've been given. But the problem that that area was, you know, has, um, also in Ferguson was the way they were policed as in many cities that have, um, high black populations. We lived in small town 
America, small town, white town America. <laughs> and I mean, the way they policed in our city was pretty much the same. You'd get pulled over, you'd get harassed. Um, and these were officers from the other side of town that, you know, they lived during that white flight area, but they would come back to quote unquote, air quotes, quote unquote, the hood, you know, just to poke their chest out and feel more like that A type personality that they thought they were. Um, and it's unfair to black Americans that you have people like that, that come into those, you know, that come into the, the neighborhoods, the black neighborhoods and, and the way, and they're delegated as if we are less than human. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, you know, like you said, it's a lot of cities all over where, um, you have issues, uh, with the police, um, police in certain areas um, because a lot of times they're not from that area. You know, they live you know, in certain suburbs of a city or wherever and they're coming in to police your, your neighborhood that they don't care about. They don't live there. They don't know anybody there personally. Um, and so, and a lot of times there may be some hostility. So um, there's there's issues with that. You know, I think you know, my personal opinion, you should only police a neighborhood that you're from because you can, you know, you can connect and be one with the people. They know you. Um, but when somebody doesn't know you just in life in general, they're going to always be on the defense because I don't know you and I don't know your intentions. And, you know, that's the problem that you have, you know, in the media where you see all these these killings of these um, these black men and women. They're, they're, they're in most cases done by... Um, officers who are not from that neighborhood. Um, and so, you know, a lot of that goes hand in hand with the white flight, redlining, gentrification. Um, and, you know, it, it kind of ties in uh, to a lot, you know, as far as like owning property, you know. Now, with gentrification, can we talk about gentrification? Yeah, I just want to touch on one thing with white flight. Um, when when I talked about blockbusting, I mentioned how a realtor would go to, um, you know, a white family or a white person and say, hey, you know, they're moving into the neighborhood, indicating that blacks or Hispanics um, are moving into the neighborhoods. Now, once those, that white family sold their home, they sold their homes for little or nothing. So they were getting, like, swindled <laughs> out of, you know, selling their home for what it was really worth. And then they flee, you know, they fled, excuse me, to the suburbs. Meanwhile, investment firms came in to the communities and um, purchased what they called the underwater mortgages. So like uh, some of them were negative amortizations. Am I saying that word right? Mm -hmm. um, and they rented those homes to blacks. So again, in a lot, you know, in um, black communities, we don't see as much home ownership as we used to when we were growing up. You see more renters. So a lot of people, black, white, otherwise, who live in these impoverished communities, 
um, or urban, as they're called, urban communities. Now, in these urban communities and the white communities, the Latino communities, Asian communities, just many communities in um, several different cities across America, we're still segregated. You know, redlining caused a lot of the segregation as well as white flight. And for some reason, people still have it, they have it in their head that no, we're integrated, you know, racism stopped. It stopped when, um, you know, uh, when Dr. King marched and they came up with the Civil Rights Act but that's not true. We obviously we know that that has never <laughs> that that has never stopped. I mean, people are always being discriminated against, especially with black people. The only thing that has integrated is our money. To be honest with you, when we talk about land ownership specifically since that is a subject that is dear to our hearts, People prior to the 20th century, well, early 20th century also owned more land than we do today. They owned 14 million or more acres of land, black people enslaved during Jim Crow. We, we have probably as black Americans about one to 5% of that and 5% is being very generous. We don't own nearly what we owned prior, um, well, prior, you know, to um, us integrating. Not to say that integration is terrible, but it, it really, for, for the black community, it really, it really didn't leave a, a good um, mark for us because we lost a lot. We lost a lot of businesses, we lost a lot of our camaraderie and cohes cohesiveness that we had with the community. Um, uh, police, you know, a lot, of, a lot of police that were in black communities, that's the only area that they could work in. They could only work in the area that, you know, was near to them. And mm -hmm. that was, you know, black men and women policing and patrolling their, you know, the people that uh, looked like them. And it wasn't because always because they wanted to. It was because they had to, you know. Um, now we don't ha we don't have that so much. Yes, we love that everything is integrating. Going back to the story of us being on vacation and seeing the Black Lives Matter rally and protests, it was beautiful to see a sea of all kinds of people. I mean, I was like really emotional about that. It's beautiful to see that. But sometimes, and I hate to say this, it's not everybody's fight. This is our fight. When I say our, this is black people's fight. And we have, we have to know the importance of building our communities. They had white flight, we can have black fight, flight, where we go back to building the neighborhoods that we once grew up in. Yeah, I mean, we should. I mean, actually, I'm starting to see uh, some people doing that, going back, you know. I think i seen an article uh, with some black developers that's going back into uh, some of the wards in Houston. Um, um, 
and buying up some of those old houses. Like, you know, as we talk about property, you know, ownership, that is really a good way to get in. Right. When you talk about going back to those hoods that you grew up in, um, or maybe it's not a hood that you did grow up in, but you know that the property values are a little lower. And, you know, there's there's a lot of those those uh, neighborhoods across the city, across the nation, where they just need to be uh, uh, rehabbed. That's it. And, you know, you have some of these, you know, HGTV, you know, you be watching it. Mm-hmm. I forget that couple's name, but they they basically, you said, built up Waco. Yeah, they, they, just, they built up Waco. They just went in there and rehabbed all these houses one at a time. And I think you said, didn't they uh, use FHA? For the first. For the first sets of houses, they used their, you know, some of their own money and FHA, yeah. So they was interchangeably using owner-occupied loans, rehab it, move out, go into the next one. And they just kept doing that until they rehab, I don't know, a lot of Waco. So <laughs> they basically forced appreciation in these neighborhoods. You know, if you just think about it, think of a street that you know that has, you know, a bunch of houses that, you know, look a little run down. And what if you just went there and bought them and rehabbed them? And you just do that whole street. You you got to think of the people who want to come and live there now. I mean, you know, you hear the term buy back the block. I mean, that's for real. That is what we should be doing. You know, if you don't want us over here, no problem. We can go make, where, you know, where we do go, we can go make that look pretty. Right. Black people, you need to go where you are celebrated, not tolerated. Stop doing that. Yeah, don't just... Hey, listen. Everything we touch, you know, it's a fact. We make it hot, you know, from clothing, uh, you know, to the music. You know, just our culture, the way we move. Look at the Popeye's chicken sandwich. (laughs) You know, they... Popeyes didn't, didn't make that sandwich for black people. They didn't just come out there because we asked them. They, it was already on the menu. And for some reason, black people started talking about it, and Popeyes sold probably two billion uh, damn chicken sandwiches. <laughs> <laughs> people was fighting. You know, there was some crazy, stupid, ignorant yeah. people fighting against stabbed over them stupid chicken sandwiches. But just, you know, Chris Stahl, we had them all in the music videos. Tommy Hilfiger. The bad part about all of that is that because we make things so popular, we're actually making the things, the wrong things popular because a lot of those owners don't even want black people to use it. So we're out here, you, we're out here giving our free publicity and putting money in some of these owners' pockets who don't even like us. This is from sports. To food, to drinks, everything, clothing. We're out here making, you know, all these people rich. And when we can actually do that to ourselves, you know, and I don't think it's a bad thing to, to uh, feel like you know you want to empower your own people. Every culture does it, but it's only when black people mention it that it becomes a problem. Um. And, you know, me personally, I don't care. You know, I have no problem if Asian people are proud of their culture. I have no problem if Latino people are proud of their culture. You know, New York has all of these parades, Puerto Rican, Cuban, everybody. They're celebrating their history and their culture. Hey, I applaud that. But 
black people should be allowed, you know, to do the same thing without any pushback, you know. And if we say, you know, black lives matter, that doesn't mean nobody else's lives matter. That just means right now, I'm saying our life matters for a reason because it's being taken. And, you know, there's always going to be the, well, black people kill black people and all this other crap, right? There's violence in every culture. But right now, you know, because that would be a whole two-week conversation, I think the focus for black people should be on owning property. That should be one of your priorities. Because, like I've said before, if you look at all the wealthy people in this country, they own some form of property. And when you think about the disparity, economic disparities in this country, the root cause of it, believe it or not, is wealth, but is wealth from property. Because you got to think, one of the first pieces of property in this country when, you know, the Europeans came here, were who? Or were, were what? What was the first property, pieces of property here in this country? It was black people. Oh, yes. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I, lost, yeah. I lost my train. I was like, what is he talking about? Yeah, it was black people. American chattel slavery. When we say chattel, chattel means property, specifically. It, it You weren't a person. If you were black and you were living in America and you were owned... By a person, you were property. You're, that means they could claim you on their insurance if their house burned to the ground just as they would any other piece of furniture. So you got to think, property and black people were working for free. You know, this is why you had the North and the South going at it. <laughs> like, if you think about the stock market, we talked about the stock market earlier. Black people were the was the first stock. The New York Stock Exchange. Am I right? Yes. Google this. So you have to think that when you talk about property, now we ain't talking about owning people, but from that you had land. Like she said, we owned at one point in time over 14 you know, million uh, acres of land. All of these people in this country, well, a lot of families, a lot of groups of people in this country that own property, they're able to pass these, um, they're able to pass the properties down to their children. So when their children come into this world, they already have a leg up. That's why a lot of them, you know, a lot of families, they know where their kids are going to go to school. You know, they, they know what college their kids are going to go to. They know what profession they're going to go to. Um, in a lot of cases, they know where they're going to work, you know. And we can be upset about that, you know, and we can have the conversation that, hey, you know, you guys were born with a silver spoon in your mouth. You had this, you had that. But let's break that cycle. Start owning property. Start giving your kids an opportunity to come into this world with the leg up. Buy property, which is it's so many reasons to, to own property. But one, one great reason, especially if you have kids, is you have something to pass down to them. You know, I hate when I hear, you know, black people in particular, when they say, well, you know, I'm not giving my kids nothing. They're going to have to work for it just like I did. The problem with that is all these other cultures, they don't think like that. <laughs> they say everything I did work for is going to go to my kids when I die. We have to have that same mindset. What I have and what I work for, what I slave for, whatever I got, 
my kids are going to have that when I go. So they don't have to struggle. You know, they're going to have their own personal struggles, struggles that I can't, you know, dictate and I can't control. But one thing they won't have to worry about is where their next meal is going to come from. If they're going to have a roof over their head, they shouldn't have to worry about that. You know, if they want to go to school, you know, am I, how, how can I pay for it? I got to take out student loans. You know, you're talking about student loans is a billion-dollar industry where kids is coming out of school with hundreds, hundreds of thousands of dollars in student loans only to go get a job that's only going to pay them 40000 a year. Right, and... You know what's so funny is, okay, going back to Raisin in the Sun, if you have not seen the play or you have not watched the movie, this is a great movie to talk about generation. That's a great movie that discusses a lot of things, poverty, generational wealth, um, ownership. Now, in the movie, they were able to acquire their wealth because of the death of the father. Uh-huh. And he in the, in the in the movie or in the play, the the mother, the uh, matriarch of the family mentioned, your father worked and worked and worked and worked and worked, but he knew how important it was to leave this behind. So this black man that passed away was able to say to his family, "Here's money, to do with whatever whatever is necessary," and the mother. The matriarch of the family went out and bought a home in a white neighborhood. And she was saying to her son and his wife and her grandson and her basically their family and the daughter that was also in the movie. This is how important it is to have this piece of land. This is how important it is to leave a legacy. So back in the day, we'll say like the early to mid 20th century Black people had that that mentality mm. that whatever I have, I'm leaving to my kids. And I remember like just this older lady um, that would come into one of the shops that I work at worked at. Um, she was saying that her parents worked and worked and worked to send her to college. We don't do that now. You know what I mean? Mm. We leave that responsibility on to our kids. To say, hey, I can't afford to send you to school, but I can afford to get you some Jordans. Or I can afford to live in this house that I really can't afford. I'm trying to keep up with something. But your college education, that that that's your responsibility. So we're putting all that responsibility on someone who mentally isn't capable of handling the responsibility of going to school, working part-time, having a loan, and... You know, all this and that. And then they're going to school with people who are like, well, I don't have that responsibility. I don't have to go to school. I could go work from on my dad's, you know, at, at the corporation mm-hmm. or, you know, I can do this or I can do that. And then, you know, you get exposed to that life. And some people, you know, feel like, well, hey, I had to do it. So why can't my kids do it? But what they fail to realize is that your child will have a different, their own struggles. But, you know, I think also, too, it comes with planning. It comes with uh, knowledge, too, of of that, right? So mm-hmm. at one point in time, we thought about land ownership. We thought about owning our own businesses. We thought about, you know, you thought about college, but I think more back in those times, 
it was the trades, right? Which I'm, I, I prefer than going to unless you're going to be a doctor, a lawyer, you know, something like that. But you got to think we need people out here who are electricians, plumbers, carpenters. Those people, and you know, I know people, who, especially electricians, they're making six figures. So you talking about being able to go into a trade, a craft that not many people are in. You know, you're going to get a college degree in business. Okay, well, there's, you know, 180,000 other people with the same degree that you're competing against. And and if you're black, statistically, your white counterpart has a way higher chance of getting that job than you do. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think back in those days, we had the mind frame or the mindset where our kids didn't have to go out into the world to get anything. It's only if we if we wanted you to, you know, but you didn't have to go anywhere to get a job. Because we had our own family business. You was working for the family business. You didn't have to go nowhere to, uh, to rent. We had homes. We had land. Right. You know, all of that stuff. Uh, you know, even even to pregnancy, you know, having a baby. You had midwives. You know, you, exactly. you weren't going to the hospital. Like, black people, we had ownership. And when I say ownership, I'm saying ownership of everything. And it's like we lost that. You know, there's a lot of reasons. But... At the end of the day, we don't have it. So it's like, how do we get back to it? And again, land ownership. You got to look at that. We owned it back in the day. And our white counterparts still own it to this day. They own so much land. You know, and we have, you know, collectively, we have this renter's mindset. We don't have, we have a consumer mindset. It's not an owner mindset. Right. You know, we're, we're thinking about just renting something. You know, I, I want to go, you know, <laughs> I think it's kind of asinine to go and get an apartment paying 1500 a month. And then you got a new car outside in the parking lot. In the parking. Yeah, that, that never makes sense to me. I understand that some people, you know, they're like, well, I don't want the responsibilities of having a house because I, I get that. Man, give me an escort in my own house and I'm straight because... Buy own property. I want the tenants to buy our house, you know. But, but I'm just saying, you know, even <laughs> even even if you you had a be a duster, you know, a little beater car, right? But you own the house. You got to think that house is still appreciating, you know. Now, if you're in a really you know bad neighborhood, then maybe it's not. But at some point, you are gonna have equity in that house, you know. And this is what we talk about home ownership, owning property, because when you have money in your property. You can go buy a new car with the equity in your home if you want to. Put it in your garage. You know, it's just like you're putting the cart before the horse. It's like we have to get back to how we used to be. And I, I think, personally, again, it's just it should really kind of start with owning land, owning property. You know, because it does so much. Owning ownership, period. Entrepreneurship, owning our own businesses. You know, I, I'm not against anyone going to school. Um, but I think you have a purpose, and I think you have a plan on when you go to school on what you're going to do with that degree. Because I think a lot of people, we get stuck into the mindset of just going to school and graduating just to, so, just to say that we have a degree. But I was just listening to Dr. Miles Monroe. Mm-hmm. That's my guy right there. And, uh, you know, he puts things in perspective. I, I just love listening to him. Where he was saying how a lot of people... We're stuck because we don't we haven't found our gift. Right. And he was saying how 
<laughs> people who found their gift, a lot of them didn't finish school. But they have people working for them who did finish school. Exactly. And it's because those people who finished school, they have the mindset of just working for someone. Mm-hmm. They ain't found their gift. That person who didn't finish school, he found his gift. And when I he was and when I started thinking about it, I'm like, dang it, Steve Jobs. Or is it Bill Gates? Both. Both of them, yeah, right. Both. <laughs> 50 Cent, you know. Right. Jay-Z, like, there's people who didn't finish school, but they have this mindset, and they have they, they found their gift. Right. And everybody working for them had degrees. Has a profession. Has a profession, right? You know what I'm saying? He, and he was saying, too, like, you know, a lot of people with PhDs have failed. Have failed. Because they didn't find their gift. And, you know, I just think black people, you know, I think we're, I think it's easy for, I won't say easy. I think it's easier for a lot of us to find our gift just because of who we is. You know what I mean? We're so creative and intelligent people. Um, but we could just make anything out of nothing. And, 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 I, and I, you know, when we get into certain things, it's like we just make it happen. And, you know, for us, like I said, when we got into real estate, it is like we took off. And, you know, you want to tell people. Uh, and it is so how important it is, you know, when you look at everything that's going on today, you know, with the protests and everything, how people are getting so upset and, and mad, which is right. But at the end of the day, when all of that is done, what are we going to do next? You know, because personally, I am really tired of seeing someone get killed by the police. And we get mad and we go out in the street and we protest. But it never ends with anything. Yeah, it always... Well, I mean, it'll always end with with something being said, but nothing being done. Right. It Nothing, per, per, you know, uh, progressive. Because when you... I posted a video on Facebook. This owner, I think I showed you, the, um, he owned a, a restaurant in Baltimore. I think it was a crab, some kind of crab restaurant. He posted something online. It was It was racial. Uh, regarding black people and he got outed it was online right and he got online and tried to uh (laughs) defend himself and and give an apology you know and what it was is 75 percent of his customers was black he said that in the video 70 70 he said 75 to 85 percent of my customers are black and I did not realize what I said would have such an impact, and it would, and it would um, affect my business. See, so, so, and you know, this is what frustrates me is that when I listen to that, what I just heard was, you meant what you said. <laughs> the only reason why you're apologizing though is because I hit you in your pockets. Yes, you're losing money. Right. So, if I know you don't like me. As a black person, I'm definitely not spending my money. See, so he only felt sorry when he was losing money. Everybody like money. People don't like for you to hit them in their pockets. And as much as a person might be racist towards you, one thing they like, one thing that, you know, they probably hate more than they hate you is, is losing their money. Mm-hmm. Think back to 2008 in Enron, they was killing themselves. So, you know, when I seen it, I said, man, don't get me wrong. I understand, and, and I'm for the protests, but the protests don't work. I'm it doesn't I, work just alone. You have to have a plan after that. Okay, let me let well, let me rephrase that. The protests that we're doing doesn't work. If you look back at the bus boycott in, boycott in the '60s 
I said, <laughs> the bus boycott in the 60s, these people did not have technology. They had no cell phones. They didn't even have pagers. Exactly. <laughs> they they had uh, any form they, of no, modern technology. They had no Snapchat. Other than the telephone, Morse code, and the post the postal office. They and and somehow they all collectively got on the same accord and said, "Hey, we ain't taking no bus. If we gotta walk, carpool, take the bike, or anything, but we ain't going." And not only did they shut the bus company down, but they really shut the economy down because a lot of the people who rode the bus could not get to their job and a lot of those were white people but you know i love that because i know if you take the technology that we have today how much of an impact we could do if we did something like that like just look at that guy who he you're 75 to 85 percent of his money that he has coming in he says something crazy about you and you you shut him down and he started apologizing look at all these companies coming out and they're they're trying to be for you know black rights and Things that people should have been doing anyway, but when the, when money starts being lost, then you see <laughs> you see the you the know, changes the, that will be made, you, you, things that will be implemented. Yeah, you know what I mean. Uh, uh, you know it's kind of funny, but you know think about you know when you were younger and <laughs> you got in trouble, your mama you know said she was about to whoop you, mm-hmm. and then what did you start doing? You start oh, cleaning, start cleaning, cleaning up the house. Up. You know. Yeah, I'm <laughs> You, you you start being nice, you know, because you know what's coming. You know, with, with the things going on, I, I just wish and I hope, and I'm starting to see it, you know, where black people can actually just get on one accord. Because like you said, you need to go somewhere where you're appreciated. You're still a human being. For somebody to not like you just because of the color of your skin is asinine. But you know what? That's not your fault. That's their fault. That's not your problem. That's theirs. Let's go ahead and build. Let's get property. Let's get ownership. You know what I mean? Because then you can go and you can start demanding certain things. Right now, it's, it's like we're just crying for it. And they're not hearing you until you do something like this and you start hitting their pockets. Think about how much money black people collectively that we spend. If we were our own nation, we'd be like the sixth or seventh largest nation in the world. We spend collectively like over a trillion dollars. You think about the money that we spend in just in the neighborhoods, all those Asian and Mexican restaurants and, 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 and you know, the gas stations, you know, a lot of those uh, by Middle Eastern, like all these different nationalities of people that are in your neighborhood that you're giving your money to. And, and a lot don't like you. You know, when you go to get your nails done, who are you going to? The Koreans. You, getting, you know, getting your burritos, Mexican restaurant, your egg food young from the Chinese people. You know, you, you're going to get uh, go to the bank. It's a white-owned bank. Like, you have to think about that. It's nothing wrong patronizing any of these, these other businesses, but you need your own. You know, we like she said, you, our dollar lasts for six hours. That is crazy. Six hours. We got to do better than that. And I think it starts with the mindset. When you think, when you have an owner's mindset, that'll change. You know, we, we need to go out here and patronize black black businesses. Don't mean that we, we saying we against patronizing anybody else, but we need to also patronize black businesses. You know, I hey. Hey. Yeah, we can't stress that enough. Um, and, you know, with all that said, it, it may seem like we're going on a tangent, but we really aren't. The uh, effectiveness of what we're saying is going back to one two things black ownership and black wealth 
the importance of the black community will contribute to black wealth. It'll allow us to have more of an influence in your local government and in Washington that make decisions that will one day affect your children. If you don't have children, it will affect, you know, your family members, your nieces, your nephews, you know, younger cousins, whomever, friends, family. It will affect people in your life, not just for you. And, and that's the biggest thing, too. I think that, you know, in past generations during the early 20th century, they were worried about their legacy. Like, what can I leave behind? No, I don't want to talk about slavery. I don't want to talk about, you know, what we went through. But I want my child or children to have something that I could leave to them. Not every parent is like that across all ethnicities, but we're talking about the parents and the people that want to leave wealth, that know how important generational wealth is because it'll give you a leg to stand on. It'll give your child a head start. You got to think about who is in office, whom, sorry, whom is in office. I'm, I'm using that term correctly. I'm saying whom, not who. <laughs> whom is in office now? Mm -hmm. He acquired his wealth from his father. And he's able to leave whatever wealth he has to his children so that they can have generational wealth. So when your kids are growing up, they're competing with people like whom is in office in his children. That's who they're competing with. And you're out here working day to day to buy Jordans, to look good, to get that bag that you don't have the money to put in. You buying a $1,200 bag and you don't have $1,200 to put in the bag. That is so asinine <laughs> to me. I know that a lot of cultures do that across the board. We ain't talking about them. We talking about us. Right we now. talking about we talking about black people specifically. I'm not saying I, I'm using these things as an example. That just doesn't make any sense to me. I, I when I talk to some people, and I can't talk to them about wealth, and they have children, and they're like, "Oh, I don't want to hear that. That I don't want to hear that black power stuff." I'm like, so you're okay with hearing white power stuff? Like, what what, what about this is black, is empowerment. Mm -hmm. It is meant to empower you. Now, this message is for, for anybody. Because as Ramon said before, we admire those other communities that are able to, um, you know, keep the, keep the dollar in their communities evolving into something greater because guess what kids children in other communities outside of the black community let's say the asian community children in the asian community they can go off to a ivy league school get the ivy league education and they come right back to the community open up a clinic a business whatever um they have an idea bam they got a billion dollar idea they sell it, they stay, they keep that money in their community. They're buying from the grocery, you know, they're buying from that local grocery store. They're buying a house from that 
a you know from that Asian realtor. They're loaning money to a family member to start a family business. They're taking their clothes to the Asian cleaners. I mean that is that that's the importance of a community. So when we say the black community, a lot of times we're using that term interchangeably, but we really mean the thriving community because there are not a lot of black communities. Now, you know, just researching things, there were a ton, literally a ton of black thriving communities in the 19th and 20th century. And these were thriving communities during slavery and Jim Crow. So that says a lot about our mentality. Now, the mentality of the, the black family, of black people, has, is more of a mental slavery. And everything that has been, you know, that was done during slavery, those people were physically able to see that they were enslaved. However, their mind was enslaved. They were, they were thinking about freedom, the freedoms that we take advantage of today. But here it is, we are mentally enslaved. So it's become very incognito now, you know, that, that form of slavery. Oh, wow. um, and, and that's, you know, that's kind of where we, we should leave that because our third subject is gentrification. Where it's changed the whole perspective of black neighborhoods. Whereas where our grandparents lived for 40 or 50 years, they can no longer afford to live. You have nice, posh neighborhoods with those $6 lattes that you could buy, a $50 plate of salad. <laughs> I mean, you know, things like that that happen in, you know, in old black neighborhoods that are now gentrified. Um, it, it does bring a whole different uh, perspective to those neighborhoods. Whereas, yes, they do get cleaned up. However, people that have lived in those neighborhoods for many years are displaced. Mm -hmm. And the ones who stay behind are pretty much harassed. Mm -hmm. You can be outside jogging, like recently. The gentleman who was also the jogger, the black jogger, he was hunted down like an animal and murdered. <sighs> things when you hear things like that happen in in gentrified neighborhoods, it's like I've lived here all my life. You're a pilgrim. <laughs> You're visiting. How could you tell me what it's like? to live and who are you to tell me that I'm not good enough to breathe and to walk this earth because to me 
when you go into gentrifying neighborhoods and you have those ladies in the yoga pants that are supposedly um, very liberal, I found that that is not true. That is not always true. But they're supposed to be so liberal. And the moment you step out of line, you know, you put you put that person in their place. Like, hey, don't talk to me like that. I'm an adult. You're an adult. We can have a civilized conversation. We can have dialogue. But I live here too. The minute you do that, she'll call the police because you tell her to put her dog on a leash. You know, uh, gentrification, like you said, is 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 really one of those things that has displaced a lot of black uh, families uh, over you know past decades. Right. Um, because, like you said, you they they push you out of certain neighborhoods um, because you think if you think about it, a lot of places, a lot of the neighborhoods that black people used to live in, you know, were close to the you know. Highways, interstates, downtown, um, downtown, you know, by the water. It was it was nice places, but the city neighborhoods maybe didn't look that good. Right. So, you know, they start doing certain things to get them out of there. Raising property taxes, one good uh, uh, way to get you know a lot of a lot of black families or a lot of families who uh, maybe have low income out of certain neighborhoods. You raise the property taxes to where they can't pay it. And then you may have some investors that come in and say, hey, we'll buy your house from you. Mm-hmm. And if you're underwater, you know, they can give you a little to nothing. Or, you know, you just end up losing the house. So then they'll just come in and, you know, slowly they'll start rebuilding the neighborhood. Um, and then you find yourself pushed out way out north, west, wherever, whatever city you at, you know, in the suburbs are. So um, one thing, though, about the gentrification is we can prevent it. Um, it is going to take, you know, more cohesion, um, a collective effort, um, because with gentrification, um, a lot of, a lot of it's politics. So you talk about, you know, locally, um, voting, voting your, you know, your certain mayors and, you know, the city councils and, and certain people that's in place that has to do with a lot of these decisions that go on in the city. Um, you want to be able to have a decision, on, on those things, you know, because they they make they come up with all these propositions and stuff, you know, and you don't know nothing about it, and before you know it, the laws already been passed, and so, you know, just like in our neighborhood where we are now, when we moved over here, it's predominantly uh, Mexican, um, but maybe I don't know six to eight months after we moved here, uh. We started seeing a couple of white people out jogging. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. Don't get me wrong. But certain neighborhoods, you won't see that. You know, and when we first moved here, you know, it, it, some of, the, some of the, the, the houses around here were uh, needed work. It, it, it was not a, it's not a neighborhood that you would normally see that. Um, but now, it's, a, it's an everyday thing. You, you see multiple white families. Mm-hmm. Um and we always kind of laugh because we like, you know, that's kind of your first sign that you're going to see of a, of, a, of a neighborhood becoming gentrified. Right. Because you have a lot of, you know, uh, upper class white families who now coming into certain areas that are uh, certain, you know, locations that they like. They just may not like who's in the neighborhood. 
Um, so now there's a lot of, you know, uh, investors that's coming in. They're rehabbing, you know, certain houses and duplex and things of that nature. And, you know, that's just kind of the start. So, you know, with black people, you know, honestly, we need to gentrify our own neighborhoods. Don't allow your neighborhood to get to a certain point to where you'll let outsiders come in and take it over. Because the neighborhood is going to push you out. And then that neighborhood is going to become a fluent area. You know, if you think about places in New Orleans, after Katrina, you know, um, Kansas City, uh, uh, places all over the country where they used to be thriving areas. They're now kind of are, but they're predominantly a whole nother culture. They're not black. And so, you know, I think when we talk again about property ownership, go buy the buy, the block back. Put in your own, uh, uh, you know, convenience stores. Have your own gas station. Have your own, you know, bar. obviously we got the barbershops. Get your own nail salon. You know, um, laundry mats. You know, we, you know, we used to live in Seattle. It was crazy because you can go to multiple little strip mall areas and every business in there was Asian owned. That's why, you know, you look, you say, okay, that's why they, they keep their money so long in their community because they want to go get their clothes done, uh, you know, uh, to the laundry bed, it's Asian owned. They want to get a massage, Asian owned. They want to get uh, their nails done, Asian owned. Yeah, grocery, grocery stores, Asian owned. You know, like, everything was owned by them. And, you know, black people back in the day, we did do that. We had it like that, and then we lost it. Somehow, you know, certain things happen, and we got to get back to that. Because this that's when you you won't do them. How often do we see Asian people out protesting? Not at all. And the, thing, the funny thing is, we mentioned this, and I can I can... In the back of my mind, I can hear people saying, well, what about, you know, us integrating? I don't I don't want it to be just only black people, you know, that I'm around. OK, we understand that. But remember, we were forced into segregation. We were forced into segregation. And that allowed us to have black affluent communities. I'm sorry I cut you off. Mm -hmm. No, that's good. Um, yeah, I mean, that that's true. And. I think, again, when we talk about gentrification, that a lot of that has to do with us selling out our own neighborhoods. You're allowing other people to come in and take over your neighborhood, make it their own, make it nice, push you out. And then, you know, we're, we're upset. We're like, hey, you know, we're living out of the suburbs now. And now you go back to your neighborhood and it looks all nice. And then you can't go back to your old neighborhood. That's a problem. You can kicked out of your neighborhood, and then they're making it their own. They're making it nice, and now you can't come back. So you know, um, unfortunately, gentrification is real. It still happens today, um, and as it comes in all forms, I think again, property ownership. You know, I'm not saying stay in the hood. You don't have to, but go back and build it up. You know, if you have a chance to, and it doesn't have to be the one that you came from. Wherever you living, you know, let's get black ownership up. Let's 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 raise the percentage on black ownership up, houses, multifamily, whatever you can get your hands on, and let's build that up because then we have more of a say. We have more power to make decisions and get things happening. So we don't have to go out here and protest and and ask people to treat us fairly. We shouldn't have to ask. do that. We ask. Sometimes we begging for people to treat us fairly. And it's that's like, a shame. why are you doing this? 
Well, they've been doing this for centuries. If it hasn't stopped, if it didn't stop then, what makes you think it's going to stop now? And to be honest, and it's going to sound crazy, it's not it's not all the way totally a black and white thing. It's a it's a have and have not. It is. It's, yeah. it's financial. You know what I mean? Because there's other cultures that deal with the same thing. But a lot of that things that have been done to black people was be was was racial. It was racially motivated. Um, so, you know, to combat a lot of that again, ownership, entrepreneurship, land ownership, that can solve a lot of our problems. Believe it or not, because like we said at the end of the day, money don't see colors. If there's only one color, it's green. Everybody want it. Only some people got it. Some people got more than others. And it helps. It can get you out of situations. It can get people to pass certain laws for you. Just think about it. You know, when election time comes, look at all the people who get certain laws passed for them. You know, the LGBT community. Um, you know, Mexican or Latinos, um, you know, NRA, gun rights. There's a lot of groups of people who, by right, should have rights in this country. Don't get me wrong. But they won't, They wouldn't get certain things passed for them if they didn't come collectively to certain politicians to say, hey, we need these laws passed for us. Black people, we need to do the same. But as Dr. Claude Anderson would say, we need to practice group economics. And that starts from the bottom, local government, you know, voting certain people into office. You know, so you don't have to deal with a lot of stuff that we're dealing with now, you know, with the police departments and things of that nature. Um, so we can circulate our black dollar way more than six hours. That thing need to be circulating for at least 20 days. You know, that's how you build up your community that's how we get things going. That says a lot when you say Jews keep their money for 20 days, Asians for 20-something days, and white people 17 days, and we six hours. Yeah. That means as soon as we get a dollar, we like, hey, uh, who can we go spend our money with besides black people? Right. That's what, that's what, it, that's what that looks like. And you can't say if, if I can see that, everybody else don't see that. Right, right. You know, they, I mean, they don't call us liquid cash for anything. That's what is that the Jews that say that the Jewish community? Yes. Yeah. Um, and you know we definitely don't want to be. I guess you know as a I'll say this as a disclosure. This podcast is not going to be meant for the weary. <laughs> At heart, if you have a soft heart, or if you are not the person that um isn't on on accord with us this message is not for you if you know somebody that will be has a receptive ear to what we're saying please tell them to listen to this i mean because everybody doesn't want to see black progressiveness and this is not just white people it's some black people well, as a quote that uh, I think you sent me this morning, it said what? Those who speak the truth have no friends. Have no friends. Hey, you know, we, we I like friends. You know, don't get me wrong, but I also like the truth. And I'm not going to be scared to speak the truth because it's going to make somebody uncomfortable. If the truth makes you uncomfortable, then you need to change that. I don't need to change that. 
You're living in a lie. I want to live in the truth. Amen. And the truth is, there are some injustices in this country that has been going on for many, many years. And it's time that it has to change. It's going to, it's going to change. And you're going to either you know roll with it or you're not. Um, and hey, black ownership. Yeah, definitely. I mean, if, you know, if at any moment this makes, the subject makes people uncomfortable, you can absolutely turn it off. And at your discretion, listen to something else. But if you want to listen, hey, we're on Spotify, <laughs> iTunes, Google Podcasts, Facebook, Slow Wealth. You know, we out here. We, we yeah, we are. That. We out here. And, and you have to excuse our our tone because we are definitely um, tired of seeing. Tired of this boot. No. Tired of seeing what we're seeing. It's it's everybody's it's tired. ridiculous. Everybody's tired. Everybody is tired. This is ridiculous that you turn on the television and you see another innocent black person get murdered in the street for something that could easily be replaced. And don't get us wrong. It ain't just black people getting killed by the police. But the thing is, a lot of black people have been getting killed by the police, have been getting framed by the police, have been getting beaten by the police, a lot of things by the police. In in these neighborhoods, by policemen who are not from these neighborhoods, who do not live in these neighborhoods, who never lived in these neighborhoods. And uh, you have a lot, what they call race soldiers, who are policemen. And just a lot of things that go on in the black culture and in these black neighborhoods that you won't know unless you listen, unless you're there. And we're telling you. And, you know, we're going to end it up and wrap it up. But one good thing about this coronavirus is everybody is seeing how it is to be black. Everybody. Yeah. And we, you know, if you got any black friends, ask them. They like, hey, you know. I don't like coronavirus, but you know what? I've been dealing with coronavirus all my life. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> we've been dealing with not having stuff, right? Losing your job, not, you know, not being able to get certain, you know, stuff been shut down. You can't get uh, this. What's, what's the quote? Last hired, first fired for mm-hmm. black people. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and unfortunately, you know, this is happening to a lot of people. But it's kind of, you know, we're like, hey, do you see now? This is what we deal with. All the time. And you guys have only dealt with it for a few months. And if you can't deal with it for a few months, then you should know, you should understand what we go through. Um, So, you know, and, you know, black people, we're passionate. We're out here protesting, but we pissed off. Yeah, absolutely. But but if you're going to get pissed off, do something about it. Protesting, that's cool. But let's let's do the boycott. I'm telling Man, it ain't nothing like taking the money out of somebody's mouth who don't like you. You mean you. food out of somebody's mouth and yeah, money out of somebody's pocket. pocket. <laughs> who don't like you. Mm-hmm. If they don't, don't you. How many times we done did that and, and they come back apologizing? Apologizing they, and making, implementing changes. Sports. Kyrie Irving, mm-hmm. you know, he said, hey, look, I don't think it's right that we should even play basketball and we out here facing all this stuff. These injustices, you know, I don't want to play. And they got about 80 or 100 basketball players that say the same thing. Football should be next. That's beautiful. I think, hey, keep black folks, money. keep your money. And let's see if that don't change something. I guarantee you it will. There's going to be a lot of people who say they hate you and they, they don't like you and forget black lies and all that other crap. 
But when it started, when it starts affecting their home, and they can't eat, let's see how many people come out and say, "Look, man, I, I'm I don't, sorry, I didn't mean it. yeah, I don't have a problem with black people. Hey, most of my friends is black. <laughs> that's that's gonna be the, that's gonna be the first comment you see when you like, yeah, whatever. All right, you know that that's kind of the uh, the running joke where you know. He's like, yeah, you might be a little racist, you know what I'm saying? Just a little bit. Just Just a tad. Yeah, you know. But uh, thank you so much to everyone out there (laughs) for listening to the Slow Well podcast. That is Success Lives on Elevation. S-L-O-E-W-E-A-L-T-H. Slow Wealth. And we are at invest at slowwealth.com. We are on Google Play, Apple Podcasts. It's iTunes. You keep saying I Apple know, Podcast. I know. I'm so old school. I still, you know, I was calling a tweeter for a while, too. So, anyway. Yeah, you did say um, 40. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we are on Facebook and Spotify. We love y'all so much. And, and again, thank you. Be strong out there. Black Power.